Recovery Elevator, episode 137. That's been a really big surprise in the last two months is that's not happening anymore. All that stuff that I was worried about every day constantly doesn't bother me anymore. It's, it's been a big surprise. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for three years and 12 days. On today's podcast, we've got Adam. He's 36 years old from New Hampshire, and when he got 30 days of sobriety, he came out publicly on Facebook. What a boss, Adam. Nice job. In this interview, Adam explains how accountability has been key to his success in sobriety. Before we get any further, let's hear from Cafe RE. Before I got sober, I felt alone. It felt like I was the only one in the whole world who found it extremely difficult to stop drinking once I had started. With Cafe RE, I now know I'm not alone. In fact, there are so many people all around this world just like me. In Cafe RE, for $12 a month, I get access to a private, unsearchable Facebook group where I can connect with other like-minded individuals, meet with them face-to-face in several weekly live webinars and meetings, I can get paired with an accountability partner who has a similar sobriety date as mine, I can attend in-person meetups and attend exclusive sober trips to places like Costa Rica. If there's one thing I've learned in sobriety, it's that I can't do this alone. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR for your first month free. Again, use the promo code ELEVATOR when signing up for your first month free. Okay, let's get started. I want to talk to you guys about the word alcoholism. More specifically, the tail end of that word, alcoholism, specifically the ism, I-S-M. You've heard me refer many times to that part of the word as the incredible short memory, the ism. Now, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've been fortunate enough to make it this far in sobriety. Will I make it further? Don't know. I'm not thinking about that. I'm only worried about today. But one thing's for darn sure, I don't want to forget just how bad it was. Those memories, the painful, acute memories... That's my sobriety fuel. Again, I'm looking at sobriety as an opportunity, and it's been a damn good opportunity that I've relished. Life has gotten so much better without alcohol. Simply the thought of how crappy and shitty it was isn't going to give me sustainable long-term sobriety. However, I never want to forget how bad it was, because my addiction, who I've personified in the name of Gary, he's constantly trying to remind me that, hey, Paul, it wasn't that bad. Remember that Lake Powell trip we took in May of 2014, about three months before we got sober? Yeah, it wasn't that bad. We did some wakeboarding, we did some surfing, we did some cliff jumping. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Well, I want to tell you guys, it was really bad. And I hope you're listening as well, Paul and Gary, because it wasn't very much fun. So it was May 2014. I'd just gotten back from a trip to Peru where I was a chaperone for high school kids. We did the Inca Trail, Machu Picchu, volunteered at the orphanage, the same trip that I'm planning on taking you guys on next year. It was an amazing trip. However, after those kids left, I had every intention of staying sober. About four hours later, I was drunk at the hostel bar. Then continued the ever so incredibly short memory. I'd make it three days sober in Bolivia. I got to Chile and was like, hey, I just made it three days sober. No way, I'm an alcoholic. That cycle continued, it was painful. I made it back to the States, went to Lake Powell with my family in May of 2014. I had every intention of staying sober. My parents even knew that I wanted to be sober. First day was going great, but then a life happened. Didn't happen to me, but it happened. We got a call on the houseboat and my grandpa had passed away. 
there really wasn't much we could do at that moment in time, and the lake trip was scheduled to move forward. But what did I do? I threw out all plans of staying sober. I chugged a couple beers, hid the cans, and boom, I was off to the races. But these were painful races because I had to keep it a secret. I didn't want anybody to know I was drinking. And we're in the desert in southern Utah. I couldn't just duck out and hit up the liquor store and go buy some alcohol. There was a finite amount of booze on the boat. Now, I don't really want to go into too much of a drunkalogue. We've all got those stories, and a lot of them are the same. There's a couple things I want to share with you guys. Number one, we cannot do this alone. I learned that firsthand on that trip. I tried to stay sober alone. Nobody knew I was drinking. But one thing I want to share with you is on the last day of that trip, my sobriety took a huge step forward. I woke up around 4 a.m., drank about four to five beers, fed the dogs, and I said, you know what? This has got to stop. I knocked on my parents' room in the houseboat, probably around 6.30 a.m., had tears in my eyes and said, you know what? I'm drunk. I've been drinking on this trip. I don't know what to do. I have to stop drinking. Later that same day, I told my brother the exact same thing. Sure, they knew I wanted to stay sober, but they didn't quite know the extent of the pain that I was going through. But letting them in on my struggles, allowing them to hold me accountable, I took a huge step forward in my sobriety at that moment. There was another time on that trip where I can't remember being this physically exhausted. We did about a four-mile hike to an arch. Two miles there, two miles back. I had a plan in my mind that I was going to walk briskly back to the houseboat where I could chug two to three to four beers before anybody else got there. As I started to leave the pack, my friend Steve's like, oh, you want to race? I'm like, no, not really, man. It's like 99 degrees. We're in the desert. Nope. I forgot my water. I'm just going to head back to the houseboat a little faster than you. He's like, no, let's go. It's on. We're racing. Don't put anybody or anything in front of me and alcohol. I kicked Steve's ass, but it was extremely painful. I beat him by about five minutes, but that was enough time for me to chug two to three beers, I think, and I hid the beer cans. Again, these guys had no idea I was drinking until I told my parents and my brother on the last day. But my friends, they had no idea. I came clean with them later, but they had no idea. In fact, on the last night, we had a campfire, and my brother was going in saying, hey guys, I'm going in. Can I get anybody some beer? Everybody, except myself, was like, yeah, I'll take a beer. He comes back out, empty-handed, and says, guys, there's no beer. And I knew it. At that moment, I was caught. I thought for sure the gig was up. So they're sitting around the campfire doing the math. Well, we bought four 18-packs, a 30-pack, this bottle, that bottle. You know, they're putting their fingers in the air. You had this much that day, this had this day. And there was like 30 beers unaccounted for. Those beers were for Paul Churchill. I had already consumed them. And just about the time when I thought I was going to be busted, the normal drinkers, damn them, they're like, oh, oh well, we uh, miscalculated. Oh, yeah, so this one time, that quick. They skipped right over all of it. They didn't really care. I was furious internally. If that had happened to me and I ran out of beer, which I was actually really pissed off that we did run out of beer because I was the alcoholic drinking on the trip, I would have flipped my shit. But, yeah, that was a painful trip. I was hiding cans all over the houseboat. and In the middle of the night, I'd walk through and I'd find the cans and dispose of them. I shut myself into the tiny bathroom on that houseboat, and I said, please, dear God, help. Dear God, please help. Whoever, wherever you are, please help. So this tumultuous, terrible experience of my life that was just exhausting is part of my story. And again, this drunk log, it mirrors a lot of your stories out there. It's no different. But it's a big part of my strategy when I follow that drink. When I see a drink, and it looks good, and I want to drink it, 
I ask myself, hey, Paul, remember that trip in May of 2014 in Lake Powell? Would you like to relive that? Hmm, let me think. Uh, the food was good. The campfire was good. No. Hell no. That answer is no 10 out of 10 times. I don't want to relive that because it effing sucked. So there will come a time in everybody's sobriety, including my own, at three years and 12 days, where my addiction, Gary, he'll start chirping. And he's going to say, hey, Pablo, it wasn't that bad, was it? It couldn't have been. We don't have multiple DUIs. We've never been to prison. We've never been bankrupt. We've never totaled a car while driving. We weren't that bad. All that pain, it was just a fabrication of our mind. Well, that's not the case, Gary. That time in my life fucking sucked. Okay, and now let's hear from Adam. Adam, how are you? Not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Adam, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? Uh, 57 days. 57 days. Congratulations. And listeners, I got an email from Adam just a little while ago about how when he hit 30 days, he posted it on Facebook. I read that and I got super excited and I was like, you know what? I got to get this guy on the podcast and hear all about this because I think that's a huge part in, in recovery is coming out with it. And you, Adam, you are way ahead of the curve, man. I mean, I did it at one year. You did it at 30 days. Congratulations. How does it feel? Uh, it feels great. And yeah, I must have misunderstood yours. I thought it was a little bit earlier. But yeah, it was <laughs> a lot earlier. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. Obviously, he was very nervous about doing it, but uh, it just within minutes, more and more people every time I looked at my phone were supporting me and putting good comments and get the most likes I think I've ever gotten on anything I've ever put. You said you got more likes on that than than when you were married, right? (laughs) Yeah, don't tell my wife that. Yeah, no, it was was amazing. And people that I didn't even know were sober were calling me and posting comments on there, talking about it. And it was more than I could have ever imagined. It was was awesome. So what did the post say exactly? I just said that for quite a while now I've been having an issue with alcohol and finally decided that it was time to do something about it and really just uh, needed to make some changes in my life and that I really wanted to you know, make myself a better person and try and kick this before you know I really had something to regret. Adam, good for you, man. Like I said, you are way ahead of the curve. And what did it feel like when you got some of those those messages from people saying, you know, hey, I'm sober too, or congratulations, let me know how I can help. What did it feel like? Uh, it was awesome. It really uh, you know, choked me up a few times during the day seeing some of the people that I hadn't heard from in years. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, I think I got over 60 comments on it, but it was really good to hear from people. It was, you know, one of the, the better things I've done. It really helped. Wow. And I think that is so cool. Now, let's back it up a little bit, Adam. I wanted to talk about that right away, but let's back it up a bit. Give listeners a little background about yourself, Adam, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? I'm 36 years old. I live in New Hampshire, work for the telephone company out here, been here 18 years, married with two awesome sons and a beautiful wife, and... Usually I just enjoy playing softball on the weekends and go camping with the kids a few times a year and uh, just being outdoors, fishing, stuff like that. 
Awesome. And you mentioned softball and I apologize. I had to reschedule this interview. So thank you for accommodating that. But you mentioned you're going to Florida for a softball tournament. I imagine some of these guys know on your softball team that, that you don't drink now. And how, how's that going to be? It's been good. Yeah. When I first stopped, obviously drinking is kind of a big part of softball and a lot of teams around here. Yeah. Everybody has been really good about it. A lot of them have known me for a long time. So they know, you know my situation and They've been very helpful with it, and you know, it hasn't been too bad. It's actually been easier than I expected. Easier than expected, and that was my experience as well with the reaction of others. I was going to tell my friends and, and family, people around me, people I work with, that I wasn't going to drink. Again, people just didn't care, and, and they were supportive. You, you think everybody's going to run for the hills. But that wasn't the case for me either. So let's back it up a little bit more. Sorry, I'm all over the place on this interview, Adam. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your drinking habits. So you're 36. When did you start to realize, you know what, maybe I'm not drinking like a normal person? Yeah, it started probably in my early 20s. You know, I've been playing softball since pretty much I got out of high school. And uh, when I first started, I was on a team that drank a lot and just became a routine. And, you know, I had some personal stress issues going on in my early 20s and kind of trying to get away from it. And as I got older, it just became a routine. And, you know, I became a worrier. It was constantly just, you know, I was worried about money. I was worried about what was going on at work and just one thing after another. And it got to the point where it was every day. You know, I'd drink probably a 30-pack of beer would get me three or four days during the week. And then if I was drinking wine, I'd buy a box of wine and, be lucky if I made it through three days with that and it just got to the point where I knew I couldn't keep it up you know, I'm lucky enough nothing has happened and I just want to keep it that way absolutely now did you make this attempt to quit drinking on on July 17th 2017 or, or were there attempts before that yeah there were attempts before that nothing serious though it never never was apparently ready you know, I tried a few other times just to you know, take some time off or do something like that. And you know, as you always talk about the, the rules we put in place that obviously never work. And uh, I just became very good at making excuses. You know, I'd say I wasn't going to drink during the week. And then, well, there's football Monday night, so I got to have a few beers for that. And then now they do Thursday night every week, so I got to <laughs> drink during that or a softball game. So I always found a reason to keep doing it. Tell me about some of these rules that you put into place, and did any of them work? Uh, none of them. You know, I, I tried, you know, the, the during the week thing, and you know, like I said, I always found a reason to make an exception for that night, and I'd start out doing okay, and after a couple of weeks, you know, it became right back to as soon as I walk in the door from work, just go to the fridge, and uh, yeah, none of them really ever stuck for more than a week or two. Now, you mentioned this time when you quit drinking that you did things a little differently or you never really gave it a solid go. So what was different on July 17th? Was it a shift in mindset? Did you go to an AA meeting? What did you do differently this time that you didn't do the times before? I think it was more of a mindset. It was, it just became, I don't know if it was my conscience or if it was actually showing up more, but it seemed like everywhere I looked was something about recovery either on the radio or billboards or you know, hearing somebody on TV or on the radio talk about how they've been in recovery and it just it seemed to be everywhere lately and I, I think that was just my mind putting it out there and just got to the point where you know, I had to create the accountability and talk to the people that I care about about it and 
once I talked to my wife and my parents and my brother, who's got a, over a year himself, it just became a real thing. And you know, once that accountability was there, it made it a lot harder to go back on. Like you were ready to quit drinking because I, I, I hear all the time that alcohol is everywhere. Everywhere you look, you turn on the radio, the TV, you see it. But I rarely hear that recovery is everywhere. And you, sounds like you heard it on the radio, you know, social media, places you were looking. And it sounds like you're focusing on the similarities and not the differences is, is you're ready to take this leap. And then it is, you said your brother has a year of sobriety. Is that what I heard? Yep. Yeah, he's got about a, a little over a year now. And we, we have quite a bit in my family. My uncle's been very helpful, too. He's got six and a half years. And wow. he's, he's talked me through the process and some of the some of the stuff that really helps out. Now, did you reach out to your brother before July 17th, or was this is this a new thing? Uh, no, it was kind of just you know, something hit me on the way home from work that day, and you know, I've been hearing hearing about it everywhere. And just driving home from work, I just said, you know, I'm not going to pull into the liquor store tonight, and you know, I'll just go home. And you know, just by the time I got home, it had settled in that this is really going to be the time to do it. And talked to my wife, and I think it was the next day I played softball with my brother and I mentioned it to him and asked him for some help on it and uh, he was very helpful getting me through the first couple weeks and just really had to stick to it this time. And Adam, tell me about that conversation with your wife. Was she aware, up to speed on where things were with your drinking or was this something that came out of left field? Kind of in between. Uh, We talked about it before but you know, we, we never had arguments or anything. Very rarely did we ever really disagree on anything. It just, you know, I wasn't, I was a happy drunk. You know, I just come home, have a few beers and watch TV. And so we weren't having any issues. We weren't, you know, I wasn't missing work or anything. It just, just wasn't healthy anymore for anything. I just, I had my, my stress issues that I kept worrying about. And, you know, we've talked about it, but she was never, you know, putting rules in place on me, trying to get it done. She was always been very good and she's uh very supportive with anything I do and you know once I told her that she was right on board she's been awesome nice and good for you for having that conversation a lot of people I chat with I, I ask and say hey well, what did your spouse say what did your girlfriend what did your boyfriend say and they say well you know I haven't quite had that conversation with that with the most important person in my life at this moment and it's tough to create that accountability and move forward with them not on your team because they just don't know so nice job on that but I want to back it up just a little bit further on this you said in your early 20s that there were some stressors in your life that you were always a worrier and you drank to numb those feelings out can you tell me about a time in in your life in that time period when you did just that and you drank to numb those feelings out yeah, it was just, you know, it would, my job, it was early in my career, and there was a lot of stuff going on there. You know, I'd been moved all over the state for work, uh, kind of against my will. But, you know, I had to stick with it, and then I was, you know, just making ends meet early on. And, you know, I had some family issues that, you know, always come up, and normal, everyday life stuff that just, when I was drinking, and it was always on my mind as soon as I'd wake up in the morning, you know, it became back on my mind again and drink to get rid of it. And that's been a really big surprise in the last two months is that's not happening anymore. All that stuff that I was worried about every day constantly doesn't bother me anymore. It's, it's been a big surprise. 
there's got to be a huge, pleasant surprise because one thing I hear a lot in early sobriety, and I experienced it myself, is you got to feel these emotions at face value. And what's that been like for you? You said they've kind of gone away, Am I right? Well, yeah, what are these emotions like? Yeah, it's just it was always something, you know. I was always worried about money or, you know, getting moved again at work or something like that. And now, you know, especially with the help of my wife trying to get through some of this stuff, you know, we're, we're always going to make it, you know, with my family near me. You know, I, we always find a way to get through, so it's not worth worrying about anymore. And, you know, that, now that I'm not drinking, I can see that a lot clearer that there's it's not something I need to worry about constantly every day. It's just things will work out, you know, as long as we're together, they, they work out. Now, would you agree that you've given up some sort of degree of control, right? You, you're no longer trying to control your alcohol. And with these other outside burdensome issues like finances and where you're going to live and this and that, a lot of that stuff you can't control. And it sounds like you've just, you're, you're, you're saying, oh, well, and whatever happens, happens. As long as you've got the team on your side, you'll be just fine. Yeah, to a point. I mean, obviously, I don't want to just throw it all up in the air and hope it's going to figure itself out. But just knowing now that, you know, we've been through a lot, my wife and I together, and, you know, with the help of my family and my parents, and just no matter what happens, there's going to be, you know, an opportunity out there to get through it. So, yeah, now that now that I'm not drinking every day, I can really see that there's there's nothing to worry about. You know, if something comes along, we'll find a way to deal with it. We'll move on from there. With a clear and present mind, these, these problems of everyday life are a lot easier to deal with. Now let's talk a bit about pain. Uh, I have yet to meet somebody who just woke up and quit drinking because there was no pain behind him. They just said, look, I don't want to drink anymore. It's the pain that causes us to make this change. And oftentimes the pain has to be intense, acute to make these changes. So what, you know, was there some sense of discomfort before you quit drinking? What led you up to this decision? Was there a bottom? I know you mentioned there's a lot of things that you haven't experienced, you know, bad things from the drinking, but what was the source of pain? There really wasn't anything huge. I, I guess I'd call myself a high bottom drunk. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. I wasn't uh, obviously some physical pain here and there, you know, been through the ulcers and stuff like that over the years, but there wasn't anything that really set it off. It just it just became something I had to do. I was sick of relying on it every day. So it sounds like this is something where you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, waking up every morning a little sleepier than I probably should be. And, you know, I, I found workarounds for the hangovers and stuff like that. But you know, it just became too much a part of my life that I didn't want it there anymore. And so how did you do it, Adam? Quitting drinking is, is not easy. It's not. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. How did you do it on July 17th? And how are you maintaining it? The biggest thing for me has been talking to people about it. And I can't stress that enough for anybody. Is just to, once I told my wife and my family, and it just became a real thing. And it became something that I had to keep up with because I don't want to let those people down. And then... When I hit my 30 days doing the Facebook post about it, just it was working so well up to that point, talking to people about it that I just wanted to get it out there, let everybody know. And you know, now if anybody sees me with a beer in my hand, it's you know that's going to be consequences for it. So it's it's made it a real thing, and you know, I just don't want to let people down on it. And you know how 
I feel great right now. You know, it's the best I've felt in a long time. I'm losing weight. I'm you know, getting some stamina back, and just I feel like a different person. So it's made it a little bit easier. Awesome. And what was it like in the first 24 hours, first couple of days, first week? Yeah, that was not the easiest time of my life. Definitely had a little bit of the shakes, which is something I you know, normally have a little bit in the background anyway. And it's getting a lot of headaches. And uh, yeah, it was probably the first three or four days was the worst of it. And then it kind of tapered off after that. And it really hasn't been that bad since then. Now, to maintain this sobriety, the momentum, do you talk with anybody on a regular basis? Do you, do you meet with your brother? Do you, what, are you, what are you doing today? How, how, how are you going about it today? I listen to a lot of uh, your podcast. I listen to that a few episodes a day, it seems like, most days. I still talk to my wife about it, you know, let her in on a lot of the stuff that I wasn't always honest about. You know, there was some stuff that, I was keeping from her when I was drinking, you know, obviously hiding it. And so just talking to her every day and opening up about some of the stupid stuff that I've done, you know, it's been been helpful. And I do still talk to my brother almost on a daily basis. And my uncle's been very helpful with it too. I haven't done AA or anything yet, say yet. I don't know. So far it's been easier than I expected. And I'm just kind of rolling with what I've been doing so far. I'm just keeping it in my head every time the thought comes up. I'll just remind myself how good I feel and how different it is now than it was two months ago. You know, I feel great and just want to keep everything going where it is. That's great to hear. And it might not change. You might continue rolling like this for, for a long time to come. But is there anything in the back of your mind that you might try if things get difficult? I definitely thought about AA. My uncle, when he, he's been six and a half years now, he's, he spends a lot of time going to meetings and he works at a recovery don't know what you'd call it uh outpatient inpatient mm-hmm. i'm not sure but he works at one of those so he's talked to me a lot about aa and you know, he's offered to come down and find a meeting around me if i need it and you know there, there are definitely options out there i'm sure there's some meetings around me that if things become bad i definitely won't hesitate to try yeah, that's that's good to hear. It's, it's different for everybody. Yeah, my, one of my best friends, Nate, I interviewed him, I think, episode three, four, five. He's approaching seven years of sobriety. I think he's been to two AA meetings in his life. He's got a beautiful boy, second kid on the way, happily married. He's awesome. And I went two and a half years sober without AA, and right around the year and a half mark of that, things kind of started to go downhill. But it could, it's different for everybody, but it's good for you to know at least you know, you've got your uncle. Six and a half years of sobriety doesn't just magically coincidentally happen. And so it's good that you know there are those resources out there. And you know what's on your bucket list in sobriety, Adam? What do you want to achieve with this new life that you've been given? I just want to spend more time with my family. You know, it became a thing you know, when I got home from work instead of going and playing with the kids and stuff. The first thing I'll do is go grab a drink, and it was silly looking back on it now but i really want to enjoy the time they're you know both young they're three and seven right now in this time of life that i really want to remember so i just want to spend more time with them and spend more time doing things besides drinking you know getting out of the house and hiking and bringing the kids camping and fishing and doing stuff like that just to be closer to them and Adam, what was your rock bottom moment? I know you're, you mentioned you feel like you're a high, high bottom drunk, which is fantastic. But 
What was one time you could say, like, you know what, that was it. That was my rock bottom moment. I don't know if that's the same as your worst moment of your drinking. Probably the one argument I've ever been with my wife was, you know, we were away for a wedding and, you know, obviously both pretty deep in by the end of the night and just we get in an argument over something stupid and it just really, every time I've looked back on it, you know, getting angry at her for crying because I was trying to fall asleep and just, I always look back and really kick myself for that one. Just, I'll never forget that night and just how stupid I was. And I can't imagine ever treating her like that again. Just want to be a better person. And within, you know, since July 17th, have you had any cravings? Yeah, yeah. Well, we went camping for Labor Day and sitting around the fire the first night, there was definitely, you know, the, the old routine coming back. He wanted me to go grab a beer out of the cooler or do something like that. Or Yeah, there's definitely been times, but, you know, it's, it's been easier than I expected to get rid of that craving. You know, there's other options, you know, plenty of ginger ale or I know you're a big fan of the uh, LaCroix. LaCroix. Uh, keep a lot of that on hand. Yeah. And just something something different. Yeah, there's a lot of other options besides poison. It's it's astounding. Yeah, exactly. Once, once you stop drinking, you're like, wow, there are a ton of other options. And Adam, what have you learned about yourself in sobriety? That I'm a lot more of a patient person than I acted like the last few years. It's been really good. I've grown closer already in just two months with my children you know enjoy getting out and doing stuff with them and you know I've grown a lot more patient trying to see stuff that they're doing and you know really remember this time in their life there's been a lot of really important stuff that's happened in the last couple months and really good that I'll have that memory now instead of washing it away yeah that's so cool to hear and and Adam we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready? Yes. We kind of covered the worst memory from drinking. So we'll go to the second one. We've all heard of the aha moment. Did you ever have an Oh shit moment indicating that, Oh man, I can't control my drinking. Just realizing that every day, that was the first thing when I got home from work that I wanted to do. And just looking back on it now, it's really kind of a silly thing that I was doing every day. And, it just really stuck in my head that, that last day when I was looking everywhere and that's all I could see was stuff about recovery and really made it a real thing that day. Now, with almost two months of sobriety under your belt, what's your plan moving forward? Uh, just to keep enjoying life, you know, get to know my kids better and uh, getting healthier, you know, and just keep up the accountability, keep talking to people about it. You know, it's been the most important thing for me. Next question, Adam. What's your favorite resource in recovery? I think it's your podcast. I listen to that a lot. I try to listen to a couple of the other ones that people have mentioned on here, and I think your your format on here is really helpful to hear people that are a lot more alike you know, and going through the same issues. Well, thank you very much for listening, Adam. Much appreciated. The next question, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? It's got to be the accountability creating that accountability and making it a real thing. I agree 100% with you on that, Adam. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Suck it up and talk to somebody. You know, it's got to be somebody that you care about and you trust and especially respect. 
you know, once you talk to somebody about it and make it a real thing, you know, you're not going to want to let those people down. And once you get it out there, it becomes a lot easier. And last, Adam, before we depart, give listeners your own, you might be an alcoholic if line. You might be an alcoholic if you lie to your wife when you're sick as a dog just because you know she'll say, well, maybe you probably don't need that beer tonight. Hmm. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much for joining us on the Recovery Elevator podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Your heart knows the way. Run in that direction. That's a quote that I read from Rumi. In 1988, Roxette, also the creator of that awesome song Joyride, said it best. Listen to your heart. Trust your gut. It'll tell you which way to go. Okay, Recovery Elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. 